Welcome to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. At Evolution NHS, we're committed to helping people and NHS organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust and make doing business easier. We collaborate with NHS organisations to help them build high-performing digital teams. We achieve this by running things like this, podcasts and sharing insights into the ever-evolving NHS digital industry's best practices. So I'm Rose from Evolution Recruitment and today I'm your host. Today on the panel we've got Penny Dash, Mike Ellis and Ben Bridgewater discussing a very interesting topic today, why the NHS needs disrupting. Just to let you all know, the views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect official position or policy of their organisation. So we're going to start with introductions and hear from the panellists themselves uh, before we move on to discussing why the NHS needs disrupting. So with that, we'll come to Penny first. Please, can you introduce yourself, Penny? Hello, everyone. My name is Penny Dash. I'm a chair of an integrated care system, which are new entities uh, across the NHS, which seek to bring together all of the providers, everything from GPs through to specialist hospitals, along with local authorities, along with the previous commissioning functions held in CCGs. So really moving to that uh, concept of a single organisation for health and care serving a population. My patch is Northwest London and we serve 2.4 million people. Nice to uh, meet you all. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Paddy, so much for joining us. Uh, and I'll move to Mike. Hi, good everybody. Um, it's Mike Ellis. So I'm relatively, or well, very new nationally to the NHS. I spent the last 25 years uh, leading people and organisations through change, specifically in industry, and joined the NHS on the back of uh, the COVID programme. So I'm still here, three years down the line, um, specifically working at the moment on the pod delegation and actually running the Midlands section of that in terms of bringing down the pod delegation down to uh, the ICB levels. Oh, perfect. Thanks, Mike. And thanks for joining us again. Uh, we'll move to Ben. Hi, yes, I'm Ben Bridgewater. I'm the Chief Executive of Health Innovation Manchester. Um, health Innovation Manchester is what we regard as our integrated academic health science and innovation system. So we have uh, lots of different partners, uh, the universities, uh, industry partners, um, uh, we work carefully with patients and the public, and our role is to drive innovation into the needs of the citizens of Greater Manchester. So Penny's described the patch that she serves, the patch that I serve from the innovation perspective is, is Greater Manchester, which is a population of just under under 3 million people. Brilliant. Big job there, Ben. Uh, great to have you, and thanks for your time on this. Uh, so what we'll do now, then, is we'll move to the discussion. So we know that in a digital world, most organizations are really clear on how they want to be different, either to be super efficient, deliver the best customer experience or focus on world leading product leadership. So where do you think the NHS should focus to give better outcomes for people and the best value for the public purse? Uh, ben, uh, if you'd like to start us off, because this is uh, your your question. Yeah, thanks. So yeah, the, 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 the title of the, of the podcast is around disruption, isn't it? And disruption in the NHS. And, you know, a lot of people see disruption as a as a bad thing. Um, you speak to somebody like uh, Kodak, who've obviously kind of gone bust off the bases, but the back, the back of digital disruption of digital films and things like that, they would see it as a bad thing. But I think most of us now recognize that the NHS is not achieving the outcomes that, that are required. Uh, uh, 
population health is not where it needs to be, waiting lists are too long and so on and so forth. So there's no, there's no doubt that uh, the NHS needs to change. Um, it'll be interesting to get the perspective of the others on the call, but I think just doing more of the same thing and doing it harder and faster and doing it deeper is probably not going to be enough. I think we need to need to change. And I think the change needs to be more than just incremental and needs to be more profoundly disruptive, which is a hard thing to man manage. And it'd be interesting to get Mike's perspective as an expert in change management around that stuff. But from a personal perspective, I do think that we do uh, get caught up a little bit uh, by trying to be all things to all people. So when you look at the Institute for Healthcare Improvements idea that we want to have great outcomes of care, better population health, we want to have really cost-effective care, and, and, and also we want to give a great customer experience, that is kind of all things to all people. And it's probably, in my view, where we've been trying to get to, but it's a little bit in the too hard box. So I think if we can focus down on, on what we really want to achieve, uh, and that doesn't mean that we can't segment the population and be precise about it in that in that way. But I think if we can find the areas where actually the most important thing is to be truly efficient and we can drive towards efficiency using the right kind of structures for that. If we think where do, where do we really require real customer intimate care and have the right structures for that? And actually, where do we need product leadership uh, and set things up for success in that regard as well? We've been a better place. So I'll give you an example. If I walk out of this office here and I trip over and I break my arm, uh, I'm next door to a hospital. I want to be in and out of that hospital with my arm fixed as quickly as possible. I don't really call whether people call me Mr. Bridgewater or Ben or Benjamin or number 357. I don't really mind about that. I just want my arm fixed in a truly reproducible way. I don't want any kind of new innovative approaches. I just want to be in and out quick as possible, cheap as chips, you know, that's what I want, uh, efficient service. If, for example, that I had um, untreatable end-of-life malignancy, I think I would want real customer intimate care. I'd want people to speak to me about what my preferences are. Did I want to be cared in a hospital? Did I want to be cared for at home? What were my preferences about end-of-life care and so on and so forth? So that kind of real customer intimate care I'd want in that section. But if, for example, I got diagnosed as having... Um, let's say, metastatic malignant melanoma, whereby the prognosis is really poor, but actually there are new therapies out there for me. I would want to be in that product leadership space and actually treat it in that way. And I think if we focus on doing those things really well, we'd probably provide a better health service, better outcomes for the people who need it, better experience for the people who need it, and more efficient care for the people who need it, and we'd be in a better place as a, as a healthcare system. I'm not just making this stuff up. I think when you look at a lot of organizations out there, particularly who've been affected by technology in a big way, they are quite, quite precise about that, what they want to achieve in that regard. And if they're quite precise, they'll probably achieve it. If we're vague and we want to be all things to all people, we probably won't. A fantastic answer. Ben, thanks for kicking us off there. And I absolutely love those examples as well. Uh, Mike, I think it'd be good to come to you next if you want to follow on from that. Thank you. Uh, ben, fantastic um, subject uh, and, and perspective on it. I think the transformation, and it's interesting in industry, what governs industry to do to, to look and, and pause and rethink it's primarily is they've got to be economically viable to survive. So it's a slightly different drivers that maybe that they look and, 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 and certainly start to consider when initially looking at what transformation needs to happen with an organization. What is consistent is that we are now starting to become more people-centric, customer-centric, patient-centric, whichever you want to use it. What we've got to start to understand greater is, is what the drivers for the end users are that will enable us to actually align our businesses along to what their demands are. And I think where the NHS at this is at the point in time, 
is a little lost about, and I think the point around trying to be all things to all people is actually a really, really important part of what you said. At the moment, it's evolved into what is the vehicle called the NHS, and it, it genuinely tries to be everything for everybody. And until we get probably a little more clarity around what we're trying to achieve in that sense, of all those different examples that you've used, the different types of scenarios, and you're absolutely right, I break my ankle, I want to be in and out as quickly as I can in the most effective way. But when you start to look at the broader spectrum of services that we're trying to offer, I think we need to get more clarity what those pathways, the routes in and out of those services are to enable us to become more effective and more efficient in the way in manner we're delivering them. And I think part of what I've observed along the way in my short period of time is that transformation only ever ever is it successful if you set out with a very clear picture of where you're going and what you want to want to achieve. At the moment, I'm not convinced, nor am I kind of see that if, if we're not careful, we, if, if we're clear where we want to get to from an NHS perspective, what I don't understand is um, the manner in which we're going to approach it with such a huge portfolio of services that we're trying to offer. So it needs to become more focused around, I suppose, if you look at it and split it into three simple approaches, and this is my overly simplistic approach, um, you've got three sections. You've got the acute, you've got community, and you've got primary care. And I'll put them under those umbrellas, so please excuse if it's not entirely how you envisage it. And I just wonder whether, if you looked at it from that perspective and started to understand what each of those services is able to offer, in a more specific way and therefore actually you would get the people using those services with a better ability to, to know where to go to, uh, to gain access. What you then start to evolve into a process is where you can then fine-tune those services aligned back to the people that are using it. And if I give you an example of what I mean by that, GPs, I, so when I spoke to somebody, I, I tune those to be more like the long-term preventative maintenance of our, our, of our public. And, and, and in industry, that's what you do. You, you maintain your machines to be, make sure that they give you the productivity else. The community should, in principle, with those everyday occurrences that are not critical, that are not, not acute, take a lot of the pressure and the burden away. And then you can really achieve those services to become more aligned to the way and the manner in which they've been used. And then the last one, obviously, which is you then getting into the more detail of the emergency care and the more... Uh, acute um, elements of the, I'm not even going to try and quote some of the uh, um, things you were referring to there before, because I'm not sure I could actually understand some of the, what they were. So let me be really honest with you. But I think if you start looking at those, then you've got those three things. It is defining what you're trying to get out of the NHS in terms of what it's delivering. And the, and the money you, the minute you start to segregate those, then you've got a greater ability to start to then really start to push transformation through because it's against a specific agenda with a very clear outcome. And when you talk about digitization, that to me is the vehicle in which you drive transformation. Because if you gather the information, you know, the intelligent data that's there available for you, you can then start to really refine all the work that you do to make sure the outcomes that you're achieving are based upon facts that gives you real genuine quality of service and deliverable ongoing services that will only improve in time because of the quality of the information that you're able to put your hands on. So does that, does that make sense, what I'm saying, from a different perspective? Hopefully Ben can answer that. Ben, do you think you can understood? 
yes, I, I understand. I, 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 it'd be interesting to get Penny's perspective, but I worry a little bit about the sort of the, the silos you've described. I think the whole, um, the whole place I think we're trying to get to is that, um, from a citizen perspective, you know, you don't want to recognize primary care versus community care versus hospital care. You just want to have a, the care that you require at the time that you require in the way which is best for you and actually, quite frankly, best for the public purse. So I do worry a little bit about the, 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 the thinking about the silos, but I agree 100% with the idea that the uh, underpinning of all these things should be digital. And, and so the, the things you do, you can measure, be sure you've achieved the things you want, not get things that you don't want and rinse and repeat with the underlying sort of digital currency that's that's there. Thanks, Ben. It will come perfectly to, to get the system opinion then. Penny, what would you like to add? Uh, so I think on this conversation, I'll pick up a few different things. So the first is that um, we absolutely have to get to this approach that Ben was alluding to of recognising different types of care for different sorts of people. And at the moment, it's it's crazy. It's it's actually hard to even have a conversation because suddenly someone will say, oh, but it's got to be this. And someone will say, oh, it's got to be that and so on. And the reality is we need different things for different people with different needs. Um, so just to give you an example that came up uh, about 10 years ago was a proposal that um, anybody in the country uh, should be able to go anywhere to get their survival smear test done. And I'd say the same should be true for having a health checkup at age 55 or whatever. You know, wh why would you have to go to your local GP practice? And we saw during um, COVID, you know, lots of people actually, self-included, I never, never would have dreamt of going to my GP practice to have a vaccination because actually it would have been probably quite a slow, turgid process um, they didn't have particularly easy online booking and I could book in at the pharmacist right next door to the train station and I got it done in literally, they were doing two people a minute, two people a minute, a single vaccinator, two people a minute. It was exceptionally efficient. The service was outstanding. It was the best thing that happened to me, particularly because he threw in a flu jab as well at the same time. So it wasn't just two people, it was two times two. So there are lots of examples of this, but consistently every time these things have been proposed, with the slight exception of that during COVID, many people argue, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't offer that a woman could go and have a cervical smear test next door to where she works because some people won't want to go there and do that. Well, of course they won't. Not, we're all different. We're all leading very different lives. So we've got to find a way in which we can recognise that it's fine to have different routes into the system. You're not penalizing anybody, you're not benefiting. It's just different routes into the system. So that's the first bit. The second bit though is whatever we do, it has to be efficient. So I've just given you my example of one vaccinator in a tiny, tiny room in a pharmacy, literally no more than 1.5 square meters, able to do 100 jabs an hour. So that's our benchmark. If you went to many GP practices, many other vaccination centers, they wouldn't be doing anything like that volume and they would be using a lot more space. I don't think we should be tolerating that. I went to um, a local uh, authority office a few weeks ago on a Sunday afternoon. They had a fully staffed COVID vaccination uh, service available there. 
they just say there was nobody there because it was a Sunday afternoon and there weren't many people at work. So I have no idea why it was there and why it was staffed. And I think it's because people aren't measuring these things and they certainly don't look at the true costs of delivery, including the cost of space and property. So therefore, when we try and put together a business case, which often we need to do, to look at what are we going to invest in digital technologies, and Mike is completely right, you know, businesses clearly need to be paid for these technologies which they've developed and evolved and so on. When we put a business case together, often we're not comparing apples and apples. We're looking at what's the cost of the new digital service and we're not comparing it to our current model, including all of the on costs of the space and everything else. And so that's, uh, for me, you know, the, the way in which we're going to move forward is we are going to have to be quite bold. We're going to need to be bold in terms of Ben's point of recognizing multi-channel. That's the term that people would use in other settings. And we're going to need to recognize Mike's point that this needs to be economically viable. But we're also going to need to recognize that to have any chance of moving forward with different models, we need to shut down the old. Ben, to you. Yeah, thanks. So I'm just going to um, pick up Penny's point. I did some vaccinating and I was a cardiac surgeon for a, for a long time. And I understand what the triple offer is all about. And actually, when I started doing vaccinating, I, I found it incredibly countercultural for me as a person, because basically what you did is you have somebody walk through and you stick a needle in their arm and you have somebody walk through and you stick a needle in their arm as well. You know, there's no real space in that for thinking, well, you know, how, how, how how's your wife and kids and any other problems you've got or anything like that is true, true operational efficiency. But I found it quite difficult to get my head around at first because it's not the way I, 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 I was ever trained. Similarly, I wasn't in the space of thinking, I wonder whether a different sort of needle would be useful here, or let's do a trial with sticking it in the left arm versus the right arm. You just get on and do it. So I think uh, Penny's made a really good point. But, and there is a quite a big but in this for me, we've done some work in Greater Manchester about uh, where the vaccinations got to in our society. And for uh, people who are relatively non-deprived, particularly people who are white, the, uh, the vaccine penetration rate was really, really high. So actually the channels that we used in terms of digital booking and the places that we had them in terms of GP surgeries and football clubs and, and so on and so forth were really good at getting to some communities. And that works in that operational efficiency way. But actually the people who needed the vaccine most were some of our most deprived communities, uh, people uh, in ethnic minorities, people had jobs actually which were not compatible with uh, self-isolation. And we didn't do such a good job in there. So even within that vaccination stuff, we have this ability to, have to actually try and subdivide that population, operational efficiency, uh, product leadership, uh, uh, user experience. And if we'd have thought harder about that, uh, we'd have probably done a better job into the people who need the vaccine most. Thank you, Ben. I'll come back to you, Mike, to finalise that um, that first talking point. It's actually quite interesting, but you just touched on pretty much where I was going with the same thought process. <laughs> the, the... So I was very heavily involved with the setting up a lot of the vaccination sites, certainly some of the mass sites initially, and actually serving some of the more deprived areas into the Birmingham area. And I think what came out of this is what Penny's touched on is you, you, there's a lot of learnings we should take out of what happened in that period because there was a lot of um, very clever and well-thought-out operational um approaches that really did serve the, the, the population very well. But what it did actually highlight is just the level of um, inequalities in our approach to uh, the healthcare that was to certainly parts of the lesser um, wealthy communities uh, in, in deprived areas where actually our approach only fits 
and suited the vast majority of the public, not the public part of the public that probably genuinely needed the help and support. So I think what we've learned from there, there is some really good learnings around the digitization and turned certainly about the operational performance. That you're right, either way, Ben. If I if I had one conversation, be it with a nurse or a GP or a doctor who came in to help and support it, it would be that, Mike, this is not healthcare, this is not looking after our patients, because what really we were looking at, and I think the best analogy I got was it was a war zone, and we had to line them all up and get the needle in their arm as quick as they could. That is far removed from the care that we would want to give people. But what it did show is just when you actually look at it in a very different way, how quickly we can adapt. And there got to be lots of learnings coming out of the COVID position that we should take forward into the wider picture of, of NHS and health. Well, thanks for the answers on that one. I think it was really insightful to have three completely different opinions. So great stuff. We'll move on to the next talking point now. So industry's gone through the radical transformation, arguably the NHS now needs to consider, be it digitalization, leaner and flatter management structures, Tapping into other industries and not leading with NHS experience being a necessity could allow these skills and learning to be acquired into the NHS transformation process. In aligning the NHS to the ever-changing public demands, is it not the time to tap into these external learnings to deliver a leaner and more agile approach to NHS care? Uh, Mike, this is your talking point, so let's start with you here. Okay, thanks, Rose. I think uh, there's two, two elements of this clearly. One is that um, I feel that um, there are a lot of people out there in industry that actually would quite happily move over into uh, a, a healthcare environment to continue the learnings of around transformation. And then let's start where, and as I did in the previous bit, industry is slightly different. Industry is the driver in industry is that you've got to be economic and economically viable. So a lot of the work going around transformation about creating leaner and flatter structures is primarily a cost-based treatment, as well as efficient and effective management. And I think what I've learned very quickly in the latter three years is that the NHS is guilty of having far too uh, uh, many layers in terms of division, uh, decision-making processes. Governance is a key element and a key factor that drives the overall service and the manner in which we operate in the NHS. But I think to a point, it's actually got to the, uh, my observation is that it's so heavily um, uh, laden with governance and decision and processes and, and, and uh, hierarchical stu structure. It doesn't enable the people within the organization to really deliver to the best of their abilities. And a lot of the time, they stop, pause to get an answer before they can move on and actually then make things happen. And I think what I'm trying to get across there is that when when you look at industry, what industry learned a long time ago was it couldn't carry the cost of masses of uh, inventory. So what did we do? We started to take out a, a process called just-in-time. So you take your inventory out, you would then deliver it to line and you would manufacture on, on product that was a minimal requirement based upon your productivity levels. You would look at the digitization of that to gather the right intelligence data to drive the decisions that would then form the strategy and the operational performance of a business because what you would do is base your decisions based upon fact that was driven out of the work that you were doing and then the other element of that is that then you would have people that would work within these organizations and that's where i've been uh, very fortunate to be wheeled into numerous 
companies from varying sizes up to the multi-billion pound global in, um, companies down to smaller SMEs, uh, family-driven businesses, where you would see that there is a learning and the transformation process or learning of how to take a business from a point A to point B actually is a skill set that can be easily transferred from one industry to another. And it certainly doesn't need to be considered that there are barriers there because you may not have a level of understanding of a specific uh, expertise within a certain industry. And if I put that into context, I will have worked in anything from um, large uh, engineering, um, small mass production of widgets, um, closures that go onto your bottles of uh, um, uh, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Britvig, to name all, so I can't be biased to one brand, but or, and, and then into packaging and, and various different options. Before I came into um, at the NHS, and the work I'm doing now is very much transformation taking the business from a point A to point B. The skill set, the process and manner in which you do that is identical. It is not different. The nuances that go within each and every industry obviously is different. But as long as you've got the people around that have that level of expertise, the you know, the subject matter experts, you really can take skills, bring them in and really help and drive a different approach and a different mindset into how we drive transition in, uh, or transformation within the NHS. And I think that's really my, my challenge. I'd be interested to see what both of you think. Do, if we were to buy and acquire those skills in those different perspectives, rather than what I've observed is using quite regularly the same people, just moving them around within the NHS with a very clear focus of what they already know, that we could bring a very different perspective into the learning and how transformation could be differently for for, for the for the organisations. That point, Mike, I'll move to Penny, if that's okay. Sorry, yeah. Um, I'm not sure, I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure I have any particular thing to add on this. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, very much aligned with what Mike said. Um, I do think that we need... Uh, and this is really what Ben's role is and was equivalent in my part of the country, we do need a mechanism whereby we can bring innovations and new approaches across a whole range of areas, not just digital and data and so on, more easily into the NHS. And it can be very hard for industry to find roots in and to do that. And so often things get blocked and we don't get as much benefit from interesting technologies as we would like. So I think that's, you know, my only bit is we, we really need to pay a lot more attention to that. But I think Ben and Mike are better placed to comment on that than me. My other bit is really what I said before, so I'd only be repeating myself about we do need proper business cases where we can really compare the new with the old. Otherwise, uh, we keep making the new look less attractive because we're not properly costing up the old. I'll move to you then, Ben. Yeah, thanks. So, so I I agree uh, again with 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 Mike. So it's interesting. So Mike's obviously come from industry in, in into healthcare. I was in healthcare. I left and worked for a big global digital industry for a few years, and then came back into healthcare. Penny's seen and done everything around the world, and is now uh, you know uh, leading in in healthcare in the NHS. So I think. Um, we have all in our different ways had the uh, opportunity to see things differently and try and work out which bits of those are relevant to healthcare. I did a piece of work, uh, and this is a little bit old and it may have changed, but I, I use it to make the point. I did an analysis of uh, the the type of people who are non-executive directors on acute hospital trust boards. This was probably a couple of years ago. 
Uh, and actually, I was looking for evidence of digital experience. And by that, I defined leadership roles in non-healthcare digital businesses or pure play healthcare digital businesses. And it worked out as about being one digital NED per two trust boards. So effectively, I had half a NED with those sort of digital experiences uh, in, in trust boards. At that stage, when I was looking around, there were no uh, CCIOs on any trust boards at all. And actually, the vast majority of people who were leading those organizations at board level were people who were really experienced in healthcare or really experienced in you know public sector governance or whatever, but didn't have those digital experiences. I think that stuff is starting to change, but the consequence of that is the sort of maturity of the digital conversation happening in in hospitals and ICSs is not where it needs to be. And I think that's one of the kind of key activities that that we all have. I think upping up 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 upping the the, the maturity of that that digital conversation. I think once you start to think about that, then some interesting sequelae follow. So my experience of having those kind of conversations around about the place is that lots of people automatically go to data. So digital equals data and uh, data equals algorithms, analysis, whatever else, rather than thinking actually, what do we really want to be doing in that digital space? Why do we want to be migrating stuff to cloud? What sort of cloud capabilities do we want to be using for transforming our business? How do we make sure that we use multi-channel as Penny's described to get the best out of digital channels where they're more efficient and the best out of human channels where they're the right things to do and so on and so forth. So I think there's something about that whole maturity of the digital conversation. And then final point, I think, on this one is this plays into things that people have absolutely defined. One of the things that most businesses are good at as they go through that digital transformation is having really great project management. So they're really clear about every particular thing they're doing is absolutely properly scoped out with respect to time, scope, and budget, really clear about the milestones, really clear about the critical dependencies, and therefore they get those things, they achieve it in, 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 in unit time. That's something that I don't think we're quite as good at. And I think that plays a little bit into Mike's point where what we do is we have lots of governance meetings, lots of discussions about it, but actually do we empower people with the right capabilities to get on and deliver these things uh, and that's the bit I think we're a bit we're, we're a bit short. I was doing some reading this morning, not for this particular conversation, but just in general. I saw a great quote which said, "Great leaders don't innovate the product; great leaders innovate the factory." And I think that's the space we need to be in in, in terms of taking the stuff forward. Fantastic answer, thank you, Penny. I'll come back to you. Uh, thanks. I just wanted to pick up on one thing that Ben um, just mentioned. So, I we are complete outliers in the NHS from having boards, particularly our ICS boards, that do not have a chief digital officer on them and do not have a chief information officer on them. It's outrageous, to be blunt. Uh, and the fact that we were told by the national team what the board should make up, that didn't bother me too much. What did bother me is that these were not two uh, sort of enforced designated positions. So you absolutely need a CFO, um, but these should have been the next two roles. And it's bizarre that they weren't. I mean, I, you, you wouldn't really go to any health payer or any big system leader now, I think, in the, in the places that we would see as the leading edge countries for healthcare around the world and them not have a chief information officer and not have a chief digital officer. So I could argue the chief digital officer maybe sits in the providers. I could sort of make that case. But to have a big system manager 
which is essentially what the ICSs are or a big system payer. You know, you could look at it that you can debate which one of those it is. And to not have a chief information officer is is very strange. Let me come back to Ben there. So um I I I agree with Penny on that, but I think that's a comment a commentary on the state of digital maturity in, 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 in healthcare in general. So we have a sort of one of the models that we use is uh, we're on a migration from, from IT supporting the business to IT leading the business to IT being the business. And actually, if you look at all the great brands around the world, the business is digital, digital is the business. And therefore, you almost don't need to have a chief digital officer because the chief executive will be deeply digital, the board will be deeply digital and so on and so forth. But I think at the state of evolution we're in at the moment, we have... IT and the business is somewhat separate. They haven't been, been been entwined at the moment. And that's where we need to get to, which is my point about the maturity and digital conversation. But I 100% agree with Penny, but I think it's just a sad reflection that that's where we're at at the moment, that we actually need to have those people because we haven't got that properly embedded in everything that we do. I was fab. That part of the discussion was brilliant. Just before we move on to the last section, is there anything else that anyone wants to add to that? You, yes, th there is something I wouldn't mind just uh, chipping in with. Um, so, uh, I think it, it, I think it goes to. Uh, I, I just want to, for neatness, I want to join up the first bit of our conversation, our second um, second um, bit of the conversation. So, um, bits of our society are seriously uh, digitally excluded. They're either excluded because they don't have the right kit or because they don't have the right connectivity or because they don't have the right kind of capabilities. And uh, one of the worries about the innovation agenda, and particularly the digital agenda, is it takes the people who can cope with it forwards and it takes the people who can't cope with it and it leaves them, leaves them behind. So I think alongside recognising that the world is digital, we need to be really, really smart about how we make sure that we don't actually leave people behind as we take that stuff forward. And that, I think, just means that you... You've got to recognize it. And actually, the way we will do that best, ironically, is by using digital approaches to segment and micro-segment the population. So we work out who is getting left behind and we make sure we have different strategies for addressing that. That's a great point. Um, something that I'm looking forward to in a future podcast as well, discussing digital access and inequality. So be good for you to uh, either join the panel, Ben, or give that one a listen when it comes out. So... Um, we will move to the final section now, um, which is, uh, Penny, you kindly provided, that uh, how should the NHS change the dialogue with professionals, the public and politicians to start talking about health care and outcomes rather than the number of staff and buildings? So I'd like you to start us off with that, Penny, if that's okay. Yeah, it's fine. And actually what I'm going to do to illustrate um, my... Uh sort of question here, which of course is actually really a statement rather than a question. I just put a question mark at the end, but it was a statement really, um, is I'll actually pick up on from where we just finished, digital exclusion. And I'm going to focus on maternity care, but I could come and talk a bit more widely. So across the country, and particularly in the patch where I'm working, um, but you know, this is true across the country, we have uh, some really pretty stark differences in outcomes following maternity care, really stark differences. And those differences then determine those children's life chances. Um, so we're baking in from generation to generation to generation, inequalities in life chances, inequalities in prosperity, and absolutely inequalities in health. So if we want to really get ahead of ourselves, we need to start with maternity care. 
and uh, and actually some evidence it's even about women's health before they get pregnant. But anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll just start with maternity care. Um, and when you start to look at maternity care, the moment you, you describe maternity care, most people's minds instantly go to midwives, instantly go to a hospital setting and a labor unit, and instantly go or sometimes go to obstetricians. So we instantly, when we talk about maternity care, we're straight away into um, caregivers and buildings. We get there straight away. But if we actually look at what we need to do in maternity care, we need to get A, upstream, as I mentioned. So we need to really support women who are thinking of getting pregnant or even in an age group to get pregnant, start thinking about their own health. We need to then think through what are the different components of what really good antenatal care looks like. So big chunk of this is about having the woman feel a bit more in control of her own health and what's happening. It's around giving her and crucially her family members lots of information about what a good pregnancy could and should, like, could and should look like. Uh, it's around having regular health checkups to make sure that the woman's healthy, the baby's healthy and so on and so forth. All of those things do not require a member of healthcare staff. Isn't that amazing to think through that? What they actually require are all sorts of ways of interacting with the woman and her family, all sorts of ways of engaging her, all sorts of ways of understanding what does uh, what does a good pregnancy look like, how do you detect um, if things aren't going well and so on. And all of those things can be done with a bit of digital technology. And even in, uh, I work, you know, my ICS covers a very deprived parts of the country. Even in some of those most deprived parts of the country, and even with some populations who really do have very worrying outcomes at the moment, 99.999% uh, of pregnant women have an iPhone, which is interesting. And actually, to the degree that uh, staff, and I will mention staff here, get worried if the woman doesn't have an iPhone, because you start to worry a little bit about what's going on and so on. So we've got an instant channel here to get straight to the people that we want to get to and actually to really engage probably in a very different way than our traditional healthcare systems have done, particularly with people with some of the um, biggest health and life challenges going in at the start of their pregnancy. So my uh, thesis is that by completely changing the way in which we think about this, actually thinking about what is it that the women need? How do we get to those women? How do we get to their families? How do we support them? How do we share with them information? How do we have them take a bit more control? How do we enable them to take their blood pressure, to dipstick their own urine, to measure the height of the fetus, uh, the fundal height, to actually be able to hear the baby's heart rate? All of those things, they can all do that themselves. Bits of kit would tell you whether it's normal or it's abnormal and so on and so forth. And wouldn't that be amazing that we're putting the care in the hands of those women? It's high quality care because by using technology, we can standardize it. It's not subject to the vagaries of human beings. And, you know, was this caregiver having a good day or a bad day? Did they forget something or not? All technology does a fantastic job of not having a bad day. So we can actually standardize that. And crucially, if we could do that, we could free up those precious resources in terms of actual human caregivers and indeed the buildings for when we need them, which is probably during actual labor or for people who have particular complications or indeed people who have higher needs. So at the moment, if you look at maternity care, we have this absolute one size fits all model. 
Everyone gets the same. It's based on human beings delivering all of this care, capturing information which is already captured somewhere else, delivering care which could easily be delivered to a better standard by a bit of digital technology. And the only conversation we tend to have on maternity care is we don't have enough of this sort of human being or that number, that sort of human being to deliver the care. So that's my thesis. We need to completely change the whole dialogue and the whole conversation to start thinking about what is a good outcome of, in this instance, a pregnancy, but we could apply this to all sorts of things. And what's the best way in which we can deliver that and support individuals to get a fantastic outcome, um, rather than obsessing about how many of this type of staff or that number of staff or this many beds and buildings do we have? That's a great answer, Penny, and not one that I expected, which uh, is fitting. <laughs> uh, I'd love to come to Ben next to get his perspective. So... Uh, Penny's right, isn't she, on this one. Um, but this is where I think we... Look, I'm an NHS guy. I've, I worked in the NHS for a long time. I, I left the NHS to go and learn some new things to bring them back into the NHS. So this, what I'm about to say is not in any way an anti-NHS thing at all. But actually, um, there is... Um, I'm going to use the word paternalistic here. There is something quite paternalistic about the way the NHS delivers care, there is something quite paternalistic about the way the medical profession works. And actually there's some quite something quite paternalistic about the way uh, the public receive care. You know, it's almost like um, people are happy to have what the NHS provides to them rather than thinking this is really what I want and need and therefore standing up for those things. Um, and actually, despite um, the situation in the NHS at the moment, a lot of the noise that we're hearing about the, the challenges within the NHS are coming from doctors and ambulance workers and the nurses uh, about the, the shortcomings of the service, not from not from from the patients. And I think there's something about that being free at the point of care and 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 and, 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 and all that stuff where we're so proud of the NHS. And I'm not for a moment here, so don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we should change that, but I'm saying that actually when patients have truly stood up and argued for something, it's usually been far more powerful than anything that's actually come from uh, from uh, the people who actually either devise policy or commission healthcare services or provide healthcare services, but it doesn't happen anything like as often as it should do. And I don't think that healthcare commissioners and providers and the medical profession have been good about actually really corralling the strength of that voice into the conversation to drive different approaches to things and when they have been it's been incredibly successful uh, and i think that's probably um just a, a layer uh, below what what penny's described and how can we get a, a social movement for example in her situation from you know, women who want to be pregnant, who are pregnant, um, uh, in terms of actually getting to that place where they get more effective and efficient care through the digital challenge which Penny's described. Thank you so much. Um, glad that you were quite sensitive about what you say in there. Given the title, I was worried that uh, it would go in one direction today, but no, that, that was brilliant. Thanks, Ben. Uh, Mike, I'll come to you to finish off on that point, if that's okay. And if anyone's got anything to add at the end, then they're welcome to jump in. Mike, you're on mute, sorry. <laughs> I spend most of my days in conversations that kind of people get me onto me, so it's kind of another part of what's held on there. So there we are. What I said, I think it's interesting. We started off, and now, so you've been uh, quite an eye opener in this dis uh, discussion. 
So I set, set out in the initial discussions um, that where we are in terms of healthcare at the moment is a step forward. And, and Ben, you were right, it was creating silos to a point that we looked at the primary care, the community and so on. And we start to become more focused around how we can uh, evolve that to become more customer or patient centric and it's the way it's delivered. What Penny's just come up with is a whole out of the box approach to it really then starts to go into a completely different um, sphere. And I think, <clears throat> couldn't agree more, I think it's absolutely the right way to go forward. I think what we have got to do in an ideal world is to take all the perceived boundaries that are there and start to look at ways and, uh, and, and vehicles that could be used to take um, healthcare in a way that becomes part of everyday life. I.e., I think you're absolutely right. We all, or you know, when we talk about rest restriction and um, access to technology, the one thing that we learned out of COVID is actually there was a huge scope of people sat there in all different spheres of society, who all have a smartphone of one description or another. And when that level of access is uh, is achievable, then we really should start to look way outside the box and not see it as something that small steps that we could do. And my, my proposal to you at the outset was a very small step in terms of getting more efficient operationally, not necessarily looking outside the box into a greater opportunity to, to do things far, far beyond where we are at the moment. And I think, Penny, you're absolutely right on that. I have five children, so I should have some experience in terms of that process of bringing them, uh, the horrors into this world. Um, and I think it is, it's, 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 it's an interesting one that if you looked at each of those areas, which uh, Ben, you've went back to certain things that you were saying, you know, if we, we looked at a specific area. Now there must be, if you did that, a solution for a lot of those areas, which become very specific to that particular area of care, that could be, uh, and I think the backbone of everything we've touched on this morning, uh, one way or another is combat digitization of one form or another. But it, it really is something that we could consider as, as a way forward to chip away at some of the areas, some of the outlying areas, which are probably more, um, in some ways, more specific and very um, precise to a certain type of illness, or are social um, um, uh, events. And, and, and I consider bringing you know, children into the world is part of everyday living, isn't it? Well, a lot of those things could be picked up by this and actually having a unique process that covers it. And actually then, to, to, to address what you challenged initially, Ben, you're absolutely right, you don't need silos, do you? You've got it aligned to the way we operate as humans day in, day out in normal everyday life. Ben, back to you in response. Yeah, thanks. So, again, this is sort of just going a little, a little bit deeper on this. So, Effectively, when I was, um, well, I left the NHS for a short while, I was involved in digital transformation consultancy. And there's a whole bunch of models which are actually applicable right across all industries. And it's around, you take, take things from analog to digital. And then when you do that, the next thing you need to do is transform the operating model. And the next thing you need to do is, is, is as a consequence of that, is, is, is transform the business model. And of course, what Penny's described is pivoting from kind of a paternalistic care. Uh, to citizen-centric care uh, and actually using digital stuff to do that. But of course, the disruption that then comes in, into that is actually the way maternity services are configured 
uh, out of the services that actually you know providing those things is very very different it requires probably different people with different capabilities uh, to a significant part actually providing that stuff so it's fundamental operating model transformation which is my point about actually great leaders transform the factory not the product uh, you then have the situation that actually what you then need to do is fundamentally uh, uh, disrupt the existing business models because you need to pay for those things in a very different kind of way but at the moment, those of us who are at the sort of hard yards are trying to do this stuff, are trying to do it in the context of an operating model, which is quite hard to transform, and a business model, which is defined from the centre, which is actually fit for purpose, for defining financial flows in the existing way in which uh, things are provided. So that's where this disruption comes from. It's not about disrupting the NHS. It's actually about disrupting all of those things, which are the consequences of deriving the true return on investment from the digital activities which are going on. Thank you, Ben. Back to you, Penny. Thank you. So I think, um, so we sort of perhaps end on a, bring it back to reality of today. So we're not going to particularly in healthcare, which is rightly, you know, subject to quite a lot of scrutiny. We're not, we're not going to make some dramatic big bang change, but actually we've got a, a good opportunity at the moment, um, because we are short of staff in some areas uh, and we do have some significant challenges which of course create opportunities to do things better is we could actually start by trying out some of these things and if we started to try out more things i think we would start to get a bit more comfortable about what a future world could look like now all of that said what covid showed us actually was that sometimes having this very slow 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 let's try a little bit of this and try a little bit of that is very slow 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 and of course, what we did in COVID was we just said, oh, we're just going to go for it. We've got nothing to lose. We're going to go for it. Um, which actually, yeah, not everything was perfect, but quite a few things did actually get done, which in, in a more sort of regular situation, we would have been talking about for probably at least five years. So I think there is an interesting thing. Uh, as I say, I do think we've got a, an opportunity at the moment where there are some significant workforce challenges to actually say, well, we could do some of these things without traditional workforce um, models and therefore let's get on and try them now because we won't know until we try. Throw yourself into the deep end. Uh, we're going to come to you, Mike, for the last uh, point because we are running out of time actually, which has gone fast. So back to you. Okay. It's a very simple point and that is that we've talked about things today on a very big scale of what we could achieve if only. And I think what I would say is the one learning from industry that I would bring across is about taking shorts and small steps. Get a very defined process of where you want to get to and make small steps and just keep chipping away to get that bigger picture. I think the, part of the fear that comes with the um, transition and transformation of organisations is it's the unknown. It's We set out what we think we want to get to and what we want to see the big horizon of the tomorrow. And people's fear stops them taking those initial steps. So those small steps genuinely chip away and actually get where we want to get to. So the, my, my biggest observation for the NHS going forward is let's just keep moving forward. Let's identify the areas such as the one Betty, Betty just brought up a minute ago and, and take that as a really good way keep chipping away, take the small steps forward and then the horizon will start to grow in the terms of what we could achieve for the future. Oh, thank you so much, Mike. Uh, just before we end the podcast, I'd like to say Thank you so much to all our guests today for sharing the thoughts in today's conversation. Uh, once again, the guests on the podcast have been Ben, Mike and Penny. If you're hiring for new technical roles or would like to look for a new role, 
please get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if anyone that you know wants to be featured on a future podcast, please drop me a message. I'm Rose Sullivan. You can find me on LinkedIn or you can email me rose.sullivan at evolution-contract.co.uk. Thanks again for everyone uh, joining me and I hope you enjoy the podcast.